Hello and welcome to Better Construction with Sean McStay, the podcast where we discuss design and construction techniques, products, and details that lead to a better built environment. All right, and welcome to this week's episode of Better Construction. This week, I am very pleased to have with me Andrew Stiffman from Kalashnikov. He's here to talk about mass timber, uh, their move into the mass timber market, and a little bit uh, to hopefully answer some questions that people generally have about the product as we see more and more of it on development. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Perfect. So you come from a pretty interesting background from what I understand. You started off in building science. So you're now the senior business development uh, manager at Kleshnikov, but you started off as a building scientist working for a few pretty well-known firms. Uh, how did you get into building science to start with? Yeah, it was interesting. I, uh, I did my undergrad in Montreal in environment, and when it came time to get my first job, I, I went for an environment basically meant asbestos remediation. So I, I kind of quickly realized that that wasn't the career path for me, but I liked the organization. and. The other thing they did was general contracting. So I got to get involved really just as a carpenter's apprentice, laborer type person and get my hands dirty and see how construction works, um, a bunch of tenant improvement jobs and really just became fascinated with the mechanics of building stuff and kind of taking a step back from that and seeing how the built environment impacts the natural environment and how closely related they are and the opportunity, just the huge opportunity to reduce carbon emissions and resource consumption in the building industry. Building science was kind of a next logical place for me to turn. So I decided to continue my studies and do a master's degree in building science. Okay. And the construction side of things, was that always an interest for you growing up or how did you kind of come into that? Yeah, I've I've always been a hands-on kind of guy. I really enjoy holding things in my hand and seeing how things go together. I Definitely have always, as a kid, would play, I'm sure you hear this from everyone on the show, would play with a lot of Legos and take things apart and put things together. And I think uh, building science initially was a really cool way for me to meld like the more like academic understanding of how the built environment as a whole impacts the natural environment and the things we can do to, to improve the relationship. And so for you then, you, you moved on into, I know you worked for a few local companies in uh, project management, and now you're with uh, a mass timber manufacturer doing yeah. a, kind of a business development role, which is maybe more on kind of my side of the industry with the sales side of things, kind of switching from a very technical pursuit uh, with building science into the business development role. Uh, that, how has that switch been for you? Yeah, it's been interesting. I think, uh, so my path to here was I started in building science working for a major consulting company and doing very nuts and bolts calculating and researching and testing and consulting and marking up and then my I kind of realized that I was I'm definitely a bit of an 80 percenter mentality I really appreciate the expertise that the top building science people bring to the table but that wasn't going to be the fit for me I'm, I'm more of an applications type guy so I'll, I'll take that 80 percent knowledge and figure out how to get it done on a project and project management and, and construction being on site and, and making things happen on site was a really good fit for me. So joined a really high-end boutique builder developer to do a bunch of work for them, including two of the largest passive house apartment buildings in Canada and uh, multi-family, very high-end condo building downtown. Um, 
yeah, so I, I really enjoyed the project management and construction management side of things. And then when the opportunity came to join Kolesnikov, sort of the, the agreement that we made, and my role here is to sort of bring the building science and the construction development background to all of Kolesnikov's manufacturing expertise. So what I try to do is be the subject matter expert on the side of the end user. So when an architect or a contractor or a structural engineer says, hey, we're interested in doing mass timber for this project, I can kind of bridge the gap between what happens on paper and on the design side, what happens on site and the execution side, and what happens in our factory. So that definitely kind of brings a, a lot of different tools to that position uh, when people are looking to engage your company to work with them. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about the company. They've obviously been around for quite some time in BC, but uh, Mass Timber is a relatively new uh, venture for them. Yeah, so Kolesnikov has been around for, I believe it's 81 years now as a sustainable forest. We've been located in this location and harvest all their own timberlands and sustainably maintain them, which was really important to me when larger mills, they'll probably produce 20 to 25% as much in a year as some of the larger mills. But Kolesnikov has always been a value-add mill, um, not really trying to compete on commodity products. That's more of like our fall down and byproducts will be your standard two by four, two by six. But we do a lot of value-add remanufacturing. So moldings and trims and even some tone wood for musical instruments. We have a pretty heavy Japanese presence as well. We, we service the Japanese market quite heavily with nominal dimensional timbers for their traditional timber frame construction. So fast forward or rewind a few, like 20 years or so, when glue lamb started to become popular, Klasnikov got into the lamb stock business and produces lamb stock for many of the local glue lamb manufacturers. So we were probably the largest and continue to be one of the largest lamb stock producers in the region. So as Klesnikov, Klesnikov's a fourth generation family-owned business, as the newest generation of management and owners started to fast forward to the future and look into what their business will look like for the next 80 years, they saw the opportunity in mass timber to continue to add value to our wood basket as a logical next step. Okay, very interesting. And so on the mass timber side of things, obviously, we have a few, a few manufacturers in BC locally. Um, most of the kind of really large-scale mass timber manufacturers are over in Europe. Uh, how much of your approach was kind of influenced by the European style of doing it versus kind of a, a built-in BC style? Yeah, totally. I think uh, as a company, we just give the utmost credit and respect to all of our colleagues regionally for pioneering the industry here and making BC a leader in mass timber. And we really look up to them and all that they've done for the industry and continue to enjoy a great relationship with them. I think uh, kind of coming in the second generation of plants, our group led by Chris Klosnikov, chief operating officer, spent a lot of time really studying the European model and understanding sort of what a higher degree of automation and manufacturing precision can bring to the table. And we have the advantage of a lot of land out here. So we were able to basically design our line using the best manufacturing equipment from Italy, Denmark, Germany, all over the world, kind of picking and choosing exactly how we wanted our line to work with our wood basket and our processes, and then building, building a building around it, as opposed to 
we're very fortunate in that respect because much more frequently what happens is you find a building that's suitable and affordably priced, purchase the building and figure out the machinery that can go in it. We were able to design our line first and then build a building to keep it dry, basically. Okay. And I mean, I would imagine that leads, leads to a lot of efficiencies um, in the production side of things, but also with your guys' access to uh, high quality uh, timber and, and, and you know, wood products, certain that would uh, help along those lines as well. Yeah, it certainly does. We're, we're proud to be able to offer all of our mass timber products, that's CLT, glue lamb and glue laminated timber, which is for reference, it's a little less common, but a great use of fiber. Basically a glue lamb beam turned 90 degrees and turned into a floor panel. Okay. So we can offer all three of those products in all three species mix. So SPF, Doug for large and hem for, and we find that that's great because it allows us to achieve a lot of different architectural and appearance qualities as well as strength qualities for projects. And Obviously, each mix comes at a cost, so we're able to really optimize for that. The other thing we're able to do by integrating our own wood basket is beyond just the standard manufactured configurations for, say, CLT that use a 35 and 17 millimeter multiple in the lamella, we've established our own proprietary CLT recipes, call them, that really optimize the use of our fiber for different engineering conditions. And so we are able to produce up to 200 different configurations of panels for to meet the needs of each project and we've been finding that to be really valuable especially on larger jobs okay and so with your panels uh, at this point are you producing them primarily per project like are they very individualized or do you have kind of a stock line and then some custom product yeah so we're we're a project based group we We get involved on the project level and we like to get involved early and especially with my background, I find that we can add a lot of value in the design process, sort of optimizing panel layouts and different configurations for to meet the structural and project goals. So we'll get involved early and then do a full modeling package, full shop drawings as far as a full design assist on some projects we'll even take connection design under our umbrella and work closely with an engineering partner to deliver that to the job. So we're, we're very hands-on, very much focused on the individual problem. To kind of support that, we also do pr- produce some sort of billet beam stock for some of our wholesale partners. Um, but on the CLT side, definitely project-based. Okay, really interesting. And so when you're looking at projects, you know, when is the best time? Obviously, early is always the best time, but when's the best time to get you guys involved and what's kind of like lead times people might expect? Yeah, so uh, as you said, earlier is better. We're working on one project in Ontario with uh, partners Ellis Don there. That's a student residence building, and we're involved as part of an integrated design process, which is awesome. We, we get to bring all of our knowledge and expertise to the table at a very early stage. So as the building is still shape-shifting and the architecture is evolving and the project needs are evolving and the budgeting process goes on, we're kind of consistently running calculations in the background to provide real-time pricing feedback on all of those options. And it's been great learning experience for our team and to participate with people, with the other stakeholders on the job. And I think that we've added a lot of value by being involved so early. But that said, we also do get involved in traditional bid spec work and we can make that work as well. But I would strongly encourage, especially folks on the general contracting side to, to investigate a more integrated approach for mass timber because we can add a lot of value in that. 
Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot less surprises that way when it comes to costing or, you know, what the actual impact changes might have. Uh, Because there's a lot of people who are very new to using mass timber, especially for these larger scale buildings. Yeah, totally. Totally. At lead time, we're typically quoting jobs about between anywhere between eight and 12 weeks. But we can, if there's a specific need to be faster, we can do our best to make that happen. But that's that's sort of our, our stock standard right now based on our order key. Well, that's awesome. I mean, that's that's nice too for projects locally here uh, versus ordering from overseas. I mean, you're going to have that amount of time just for shipping. Oh, yeah. We're, I mean, especially as we get started, but just it's really just in our core values, that level of customer service and quality. Like we'll be out there on day one if anything should ever go sideways or not be to the satisfaction of the team. We're going to be out there right away. We'll have product on site right away. We're going to, we're the type of group that's going to do whatever it takes to build a job. So you had mentioned kind of three different species mixes uh, for the panels. Uh, other than aesthetics, what are kind of the the differences? Like when would somebody look at one versus the other? Yeah, there. I mean, aesthetics are a big thing for sure. I think uh, so for glue lamb beams, like the most typical spec we'll get for a beam is a 24F or for a column of 16C. And that is typically a dug for buildup with machine stress rated lumber. So we can hit all of the different engineering requirements of the member sizes. But if there's a desire for, say, a more European, modern look with lighter components, we can make those beams in spruce. And for CLT panels, we're most typically quoting in SPF because I think that's just sort of where the regional market is and it tends to be the most cost effective. But we're working on projects where there's a high desire to have CLT panels match the glue line beam and the beams need to be dug first. So we're able to service that as well. Oh, interesting. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense, especially as fire codes are relaxed a little bit and more of the CLT panels are allowed to be seen from the inside. I know when I was involved with the Brock Commons project, there were a lot of very nice looking CLT panels that unfortunately no one will ever see again. Uh, But that's kind of starting to change now. Yeah, definitely. The the code, um, the recent code, um, evolution has been really constructive for the industry and I believe the city of Vancouver actually just adopted Hallwood Code as well to be one of the early adopter cities so it's great to see that and any sort of anything that municipalities can do to streamline the process is, is really beneficial for the industry. Yeah I agree I mean it's it's quite interesting to see you know 19 stories was considered to be you know amazing and then now we're I, I've seen projects and plans that are 40 stories plus and yeah. also Passive House and also all these other things. So people are really starting to combine a lot of these technologies to make some pretty interesting buildings. Totally. Yeah, we're seeing it um, on the student residence I mentioned. It's it's really interesting with my background in building science. I tend to really nerd out on this stuff, but seeing how CLT can really simplify a lot of the detailing for, say, the building envelope and the clotting attachment, it's definitely a CLT superstructure lends itself really well to good passive house detailing. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. So when we start talking about these larger scale mass timber buildings, you typically, you know, someone will post a picture of one and there's always kind of the same two or three comments. And so maybe I'll just kind of ask you them and you can kind of address them. Um, the big one, always the people that are concerned about, of course, is fire. What's kind of your response when somebody's concerned about having an entirely wood framed, you know, tall building? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll start this by saying I'm very far from a fire protection engineer, and we rely 
very heavily on our trade partners who do have a ton of expertise in that area. But I think uh, the thing that I would sort of impress upon people is take a small piece of wood and light it on fire. And yes, it'll burn, but try to kindle a fire with a massive 12 foot wide by 60 foot long panel. And you're going to have a really hard time lighting that on fire. So our products are just fun. Mass timber products are fundamentally different than a light frame structure in their fire performance. And there's just been, and I can't pretend to fully grasp all the engineering behind all this, but there's been an incredible amount of engineering expertise and study devoted to understanding the fire performance of mass timber building and making sure that our codes reflect best practices. So I think uh, I would encourage them to read up on the codes and, and all of the different fire testing that's been done to sort of validate this process and just assure them that it's not a, it's not a willy-nilly idea that folks are taking lightly. It's, it's been very heavily seriously tested and engineered to, to get to the point we're at today. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I, I've seen a lot of the different fire testing results, and it's quite interesting. Um, you know, I heard uh, somebody at a conference say that, you know, when a forest fire goes through, you look and you see all the big tall trees, the wider ones, they're all still standing. Because once, you know, the outside inch or whatever it might be is, got, is charred, the inner timber is not going to burn because it has no exposure to the flame. And the testing that I've seen on CLT panels kind of bears that out as well. The larger panels tend to be pretty resilient to fire. Yeah, that's correct for sure. All, the testing is definitely compelling and we've been in discussions to further that testing to help improve our understanding of job site safety. So the risk of fire during a construct during construction prior to the sprinkler system being installed or prior to the elements that are required to be encapsulated in drywall being encapsulated to make sure that the building is safe throughout its operation and construction. That makes sense. And so that kind of leads into another common question where people are, are concerned, you know, they're used to concrete and steel and you know they look at these large timber uh, buildings and wonder how they respond to seismic uh, impact. And obviously I would imagine, you know, you guys have a, like you said, a large number of partners that you work with for engineering these things, but kind of what's your experience when you start looking at the seismic uh, and comparing it versus kind of traditionally built building? Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, I'm not a structural engineer, so I'm a little out of my depth to comment on the nuts and bolts of that. I will say that a lot of the tall buildings that we're working on tend to use concrete cores or steel cores, similar to a concrete or steel building. So the concepts are similar. We're working on projects that have a lot of very interesting seismic designs. Um, and I think uh, I would just say that there are a number of really good ways and really efficient ways to fulfill the seismic needs, all the way from just the standard center side core concrete building where we'll have an attachment detail to our panels and our panels are stitched together as a diaphragm to eccentrically braced frames with steel collector straps to sort of get generate some shear flow from our panels to the brace frames all the way to CLT shear walls. So there's a ton of different ways to skin that cat and we like to be part in a part of all of them. Okay. And so I guess the last kind of uh, you know question uh, that typically comes up is, you know, maybe more from an environmental standpoint, people uh, are used to thinking, you know, we want to move away from things that are from wood, you know, it's going to impact our forests. Um, but I, I've seen a lot of studies showing the carbon storing potential of CLT being uh, hugely influential towards getting towards a carbon neutral building compared to a steel or a, a concrete structure. Yeah, totally. 
I think uh, there's definitely the carbon argument, which I'm sure most of our readers are familiar with. And I think on the subject of forestry, that's that's certainly an, an area that's really near and dear to my heart. I'm a very out, avid outdoors person, and I hate to see and hear about any irresponsible forestry practices. So definitely proud to be at Kolesnikov, that company that manages its own forests, harvests all of its own timber within 100 miles of our site here. So we're heavily involved in the community and the consultation process to ensure that we're not adversely impacting watersheds or slope stabilities. We do a lot of wildfire management. We plant, replant three trees for every one tree harvested. And all of our timberlands is either PEFC or FSC certified. So all of our panels, that's just our stock standard. We don't have, like, you don't come to us and ask for the price adder to get the good sustainable stuff. Everything we do is sustainable. It's, it's part of our core values. The company's most core value is to take care of the land and the land will take care of you. So I think that the sustainability aspect and the responsible forestry practices are one of the things I'm most proud of about Kolesnikov. Interesting. All right. And so the, the, those types of questions kind of maybe lead well into um, when I get towards the end of these episodes, I normally have two questions. And so the, the first one, uh, and it might be one of the things we just talked about, but if you could remove any one misconception about mass timber, uh, what would it be? I would say that it's cost prohibitive would be the, map, the misconception we see most often. We've, uh, we've definitely been involved in a lot of costing exercises with contractors, and we consistently find that as long as we're a brought to the table early and the building is designed for mass timber, we can compete with steel and concrete very closely. And that's just on a hard cost basis. Once you layer in the schedule efficiencies and pro forma interest savings that come with the faster and less involved construction on site, we can really outperform them, but it has to be done as part of the design. You can't take a concrete building and try to shoehorn CLT into it and expect it to compete on cost. That makes sense to me. I mean, I'd imagine also as we start seeing further levels of carbon taxes or some sort of uh, dollar value associated with the, the carbon impact of buildings, then that'll only help that comparison. Yeah, we'd love to see that to level up the playing field, but it's important to us that we're competitive without any sort of assistance. Awesome. All right. And then uh, my listeners know the last question is always because I love books and I collect them. Uh, what one book would you recommend, personal or professional, if someone were to ask? I recently read a book called Amity and Prosperity, which was just an, an awesome inquiry into the fracking industry, I believe it was in West Virginia throughout the 1990s and into 2000s. And it was just an incredibly balanced piece of investigative journalism, sort of chronicling one family's experience with having a resource company come to their town and negotiate leases for various uses of these farmers' lands and sort of seeing the initial appetite to participate and get a piece of the action compared to the downstream health and environmental impacts and sort of the early scientific and legal cases that really formed the basis for regulating fracking. It was, it was just an incredibly balanced piece and I recommend it to everyone. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I'll definitely check that out. All right, Andrew, well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, for everyone listening and watching, I'm going to go ahead and put links down below to uh, Andrew's company as well as their social media. Uh, and I'm sure if you reach out, he'll be happy to answer any questions you have. With that said, Andrew, thanks for your time.
Yeah, thanks for having me.